Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Lord, would you come, would you sanctify us in truth? Would you, through your Holy Spirit, take these words, whether we've heard them before or this is the first time we've ever heard anything from the Bible, and apply them to our hearts, open our ears and our eyes that we would hear and see the wonderful things in your word that you have to share with us tonight. We would walk out of this meeting uh, changed and knowing you, seeing you just that much more clearly. Lord, we can't do that on our own. I can't do that on my own. Lord, we need your spirit to do that for us. So would you do that? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you want to follow along, we'll be in, we're starting out in Isaiah chapter 42. The words will be up on the screen. Before we jump into that, I have a very important question that I want to ask you. It's very important. And the question is this. Who is your favorite superhero? Like, that's an actual question, so you can tell, like, anyone want to? Iron Man? Anybody else? Batman? Batman. Superman. Superman? Any others? Captain Planet? Captain Planet? Yes. <laughs> Child of the 90s. All right. All right. So, mine would probably be Batman, although I have to confess that I was not, I've never been a big uh, you know, comic book reader, collector, follower, but I do like Batman. There's just something about his kind of cool emotional detachment and you know, dry sense of humor that I relate to. I don't know why, but I do, however, just uh, segueing here, want to challenge a bit of a sacred cow uh, tonight when it comes to superheroes and Jesus. Um, I don't know, you might be thinking, you've heard the song, somewhere along the way we get this idea that Jesus is like a superhero, and there are songs about this. Um, it's really popular. My kids love it. They sing it all the time in the car. Um, and some of you might, be, might have been thinking before that me, I'm a preacher, and I said my favorite superhero is Batman. You're like, what gives? You're supposed to say Jesus. Um, but I didn't. Uh, Jesus does not have an origin story, at least not like, you know, superheroes. There's no dark secret that he's running from. There's no childhood tragedy that he's seeking to avenge. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is all-powerful. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He has total power over the natural and supernatural world. He also has total power and total victory over all the forces of evil. But if you think back to when Jesus came into human history, when he entered into the world, he came as a helpless baby, as a helpless baby. Think about how, when he was alive, how he not only taught us to love our enemies, he actually loved his enemies. He, he forgave them. He refused to engage his tormentors in a fight. What about his miracles? For the, you know, the majority of his public ministry, he told nearly everybody who saw his power, who saw his miracles, to keep quiet about it. Don't tell anybody what you saw. Instead, just go offer the sacrifice to the priest that you, to say that you've been healed. Don't go out you know, making a big thing about this. That's very unlike the way that most heroes in our world behave. Jesus volunteered, you see, to be beaten. He volunteered to be mocked. 
he volunteered to be killed by evil men. It was an act of sacrificial obedience to God and sacrificial love for you and me. He came not to be celebrated, but to be crucified. Not to smite the bad guys, but to be smitten by the bad guys. Not to be served, but to serve. To give his life a ransom for many. Isaiah, perhaps more than any other book in the Old Testament, unveils this picture of Jesus, not as a superhero, but as a servant. And it's not in the metaphorical sense either. I mean, we, we talk about servant leadership a lot today. You know, you could walk into the, off, you know, the big headquarters of a big uh, multinational corporation or a big bank and the CEO would come up to you and say, you know, how can I serve you? But the meaning there, the motive there, is still, how can I do what I need to do to get as much of your money as I can without you complaining about it? That's what it means to serve, right? But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus literally came as a servant. He did the work of a servant. He, he got no payment for it. The servant, you see, that Isaiah wants to unveil is the perfect servant who comes to rescue God's people. And there were a lot of, like, previews. There were a lot of sort of breadcrumbs that God drops along the way so that when Jesus, the true servant, comes, we would recognize him. Ah, that's the one that Isaiah was talking about. You see, in all throughout the Old Testament, there are other people and other entities that are labeled and called God's servants. Um, Cyrus, we talked about him uh, just a couple of weeks ago, is spoken about as God's anointed servant. But here, the context of chapters 40 to 48 that we've just come through is that God is going to, can use a powerful pagan king like Cyrus to rescue his people in order that to prepare the way for the true servant to come later, the true servant who was Jesus. And he does it for a reason. All through 40 to 48, you can go through and count how many times, in particular in chapter 48, how many times God sort of shows his hand and says, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. He says, I'm doing this for me, for the sake of my name, for the sake of my praise, for the sake of my righteousness. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm rescuing you, Israel. That's why I'm plucking you out of exile and putting you back in the land. That's why I'm restoring you. You don't, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you even asked me. No, I'm doing it for me, for my name's sake, and to keep my word and fulfill my promises. That's why God is acting. He, his mission, his plan is for his glory to fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea, to use the prophetic language. That was the mission, you see, of Israel as a nation. That was their mission as a nation. If you think all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and we won't go there, so you know, just bear with me if you don't know the history here. Back in Genesis chapter 12, one of the you know, 12 chapters into the Bible, God comes along 
and he, he reveals himself or he speaks to one man, one man called Abram, and he comes to him in a vision, and he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. So that all the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed through you. That was the mission of Abraham's descendants who became the nation of Israel. It was so that God's blessing, which is the knowledge of God, knowing God, having a relationship with God, so that that access, that relationship would be available to all the nations on earth so that his glory would cover the whole earth that he created. But Israel failed in that mission because again and again they chose idols They chose to be like the nations rather than to bless the nations. And as a result of their refusal to carry out the mission that God gave them, it says he he disciplines them. He sends them into exile in Babylon. Chapter 48, it says that he puts them in the furnace of affliction to refine them, to restore them, to purify them. And keep in mind, through all this, God's original intention that all the nations would be blessed through Israel, that original intention never changed. And what we begin to see in the exile, what the prophets saw, is that the majority of God's people were not faithful to the mission, even after they were disciplined. They would continue to forget God. They would continue to sin, continue to choose idols. How then would God fulfill his promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through them? Through his servant. Through his servant. That's who God is revealing and unveiling to Isaiah. And that's what we're going to reveal, we're going to look at tonight. God's going to set apart one individual who will both rescue his own people from their rebellion and rescue the nations. That's the servant that Isaiah introduces to us in four beautiful poetic sections in chapters 40 to 55. And we're going to look at the first three of those tonight and try to work out who is this servant and how does his story intersect our story. These passages are often called the servant songs of Isaiah because they're poetic. They're, they're, meant, they're written like song lyrics to unveil this servant. And the ones we're going to look at today are found in chapter 42, chapter 49, and chapter 50. And then we'll look at the final servant song, number four, next week. Uh, Josh will be here uh, sharing that with us. It's chapter 52 and 53, a song you're very familiar with, or you might be if you've been around the church at Easter time. It's a beautiful song, so stay tuned for that next week. But we're going to look at the first three tonight. And it's true that this servant, well, I should say if it's true that this servant that Isaiah is seeing and revealing, is Jesus, then what, we're, what these songs are these, are, these are worship songs, you see, because they're unveiling the very God of the universe. So let's start with the lyrics to the very first song, chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to read those to you tonight. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. 
He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instruction. This is what God the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners out from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Verse 1, this is God speaking. God speaks. The servant, he says, is my servant, my chosen one. I chose him. I delight in him. I put my spirit on him. So let's just stop there for a second and make some connections. Who else in the Bible does God call my servant? In the Old Testament, God directly calls Abraham, Moses, Caleb, David, Job, Isaiah, Eliakim, the king of Babylon, Zerubbabel, Jacob, and the whole nation of Israel, my servant. And along with, there's this also this mysterious branch in the book of Zechariah that is also called my servant. And there's this mystery person in Isaiah, my servant. And then in the New Testament, this very passage is quoted by Matthew. Quoted by Matthew in the New Testament. And so, spoiler alert, Matthew says, Matthew chapter 12, this servant, chapter 42, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And so if you look at the rest of verse 1, back in Isaiah 42, it's no surprise that the early Christians made this connection. Think about what God said, what they heard God say at Jesus' baptism. The voice of God, when Jesus goes under the water, comes and says, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. He is mine. I delight in him. Same language here in Isaiah 42. God looked at Jesus at that moment of beautiful obedience and says, I love my son. I delight in him. I've put my spirit on him. And those who were watching this unfold, if they knew their Bibles, they would have thought, this is Isaiah 42, coming true right in front of our eyes. This is the servant king. He's here. And everything else that it says about him is going to come true as well. So the question we've got to ask now is, what is this strong, beloved, spirit-empowered servant of God going to do? What's he going to do? He is going to, according to verse 2, he's going to bring justice to the nations. Ah, he sounds like a superhero now. He's going to bring justice. He is the one-man justice league. Finally, God is going to send the very best and he is going to kick some Babylonian butt. Verse 4 says he won't rest, he won't get tired until he finishes the mission. He establishes justice on the earth. Verse 7 talks about him making blind people see and busting prisoners out of their cells. He sounds like a pretty powerful dude. But what about verses 2 and 3? He will not cry out, or shout, or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He won't put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. How is the servant going to bring justice? 
Well, he's certainly not like any warrior that lived in Isaiah's day. These guys were ruthless. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, when they went to war to bring their version of justice, when they took prisoners in that war, how they led them out of the battlefield and off to the prison cell or off to exile, wherever they're going to take them, they literally would put metal hooks in people's noses and lead them in parade. These were brutal, ruthless days to be alive. And yet this servant is going to bring justice. He's going to bring justice, and he's not going to do it with weapons and hooks. He's going to do it with gentleness. This is unheard of. This servant is going to be the very opposite of all the rulers and authorities and powerful people in the world, and he's going to succeed. The bruised reed, the smoldering wick, these are people who will flock to the servant. People who are weak and meek. See, these are the people that usually get steamrolled. The doormats, if you like. The victims. The voiceless. The poor. They have no connections, no advocates, no voice. And yet this servant is here for them. You might be thinking, maybe this is, you know, it's kind of like the superhero that goes out and rescues the damsels in distress, right? Fair enough. He does seem to show some partiality to the weak and defenseless. But what's unique, what's really unique, I think, is what's in verse 2. His mission initially is not about making a name for himself. He's not building a brand. He's not interested in followers. The servant comes gently, quietly, faithfully carrying out God's mission. And that's the connection that Matthew makes in Matthew 12, where we read this. Jesus was aware of this, meaning there was an enemy plot against him. There were enemy, he had enemies that were trying to kill him, and he knew about it. Now notice what he does. He does not pull out the fists of fury. The enemies come, and what does Jesus do? He withdrew. Large crowds follow him, and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant. Gentleness. It's one of the key marks of the servant of God. But it's so telling, isn't it? How many Christians, how many Christians today in the public arena would you describe as gentle? It's not a rhetorical question. It's one that I think we need to think about more. Would people describe you as gentle? Would your children or your parents or your spouse describe you as gentle? Because the one that we follow was the epitome of gentleness. The one who won won the greatest victory over evil and injustice without ever once raising his voice or his fists. And I want to say this especially to men in a day and age when so-called toxic masculinity is a real thing. In some quarters, to be brash, to always have the last word, to win at every cost is upheld as the ideal of a man. Jesus was upheld as manly as well, with nails. Be a man like Jesus, the gentle servant king. 
Let's go on to the second servant song. It's chapter 49, verses 1 to 13. I won't read the whole thing. We'll only read up to verse 7. And in this song, the voice changes. It's not God speaking about the servant. It's the servant himself speaking. Verse 1, coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing, a futility, yet my vindication is with the Lord. And my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is, what is, this is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, His Holy One says to the one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see. Princes will stand up and they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. All right, let's unpack that. Verse 1. This time, as I said, it's not God speaking, but the servant himself. And he's not just talking to his own people. He's not just talking to his tribe. He's talking to all people, to distant shores. These words are for them too. A reminder that the blessing of Abraham is coming. It's not just limited to Abraham's physical descendants, but it's for everybody. It's for us too. A servant knows that he was chosen for this mission even before he was born. It says in his mother's womb, God knew his name even before his parents did. Just like the same is true for you. God knew your name before your parents gave it to you. The end of this chapter, it's just, it's, it makes a beautiful connection. I don't even have time to even go into it. But down in verse 16, that's where we get that phrase where it says, God looks at us, his kids, and says, I have engraved with a chisel your name on the palm of my hand. Well, that, that's what the servant is saying here. He was chosen for before he was born. His, God knew his name. Remember, Cyrus was the same. We said that in 45. He says, I give a name to you. You don't know my name, but I give a name to you. And that is the same way that he has called each and every one of us. You knew all about your family. You knew where you'd be born. You knew what job you'd have. And he knew that about his servant. He knew where his servant would be born. He knew to whom his servant would be born. He could have chosen for his servant to be born into a royal family. But instead, he was born to a teenage girl in Bethlehem. He was God's secret weapon, hiding him in his hand, it says. He was a sharpened arrow, hiding in obscurity. So what superpowers does this servant have? What James Bond-style weapons is he going to deploy to bring justice to the earth? Verse 2, his words. That's it, his words. They were his weapons. His words would bring glory to God. His words have the power to expose and repel the enemy's attack, and they still do. In verse 4, it appears the servant is discouraged. His work, his words, haven't produced an immediate result. But he says, my vindication is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. 
In other words, the servant is going to face some opposition. He's going to face some indifference, some pushback. He's going to be dishonored and seen as weak by people. But he's going to be honored and made strong by God. His mission is going to look like a failure. But God's intention for him is not going to be thwarted by human response. Though he feels discouraged, he will not be defeated. I just want to pause and say the same thing is true for each and every one of us, especially to those of us in ministry. And that includes anybody. If you've tried to share the good news with somebody that you love, if you've tried to lead a discipleship group or just read the Bible with somebody, all the way, you know, if you tried to plan a church, I hope these words are encouraging to you as well. Your mission, much of the time, will look like a failure. You will be dishonored. You will be opposed. You will be ignored. People will look at you and treat you with indifference. And yet, it is God who strengthens you. It is God who honors you, regardless of human response. Isaiah tells us in verse 6, That for the servant, it is not enough for the servant to rescue Israel. But his mission is to rescue the whole earth. This servant will be greater than Moses, who led one nation, Israel, to the border of the promised land, and then he died. He's greater than David, who never once experienced rest from his enemies. And he's greater than Israel itself, for his fame reaches the ends of the earth. In Luke chapter 2, And I think it's worth noting that Luke is the only Gentile, non-Jewish writer of any of the books of the Bible. And in Luke chapter 2, he records, he's the only writer, only gospel that records the encounter of the baby Jesus with a Jewish, old Jewish man called Simeon. It's 85 year, you know, 80 year old Jewish guy sees the baby Jesus and he recognizes him straight away. He recognizes him as the promised one that God was going to send to rescue his people. But not just Israel. Listen to the words of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. He says, For my eyes have seen, he's looking at this baby, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence, not just of me, not just of Jerusalem, not just of the Israelites, but all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. He's quoting Isaiah 49. He sees this baby and says, this is it. This is the one that is going to bring the blessing of Abraham to the nations. He's here. And the same Gentile writer, Luke, in the book of Acts, he records the words of the Apostle Paul, who in Acts 13, after he has for the... Several, you know, the umpteenth time gets kicked out of the synagogue and he goes to the Gentiles and starts preaching the gospel to them. He quotes Isaiah 49 and Paul says this, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So not only is the scope of the servant's mission expanded from Israel to the whole earth, the impact of his mission is going to continue on beyond the lifespan of the servant. Paul was not, in Acts 13, claiming to be the servant. He was claiming to be a servant of the servant. 
continuing on the mission that he began. And you and I, we are also servants of the servants. That's why we send teams to the Philippines and send missionaries to the ends of the earth to continue the work that Jesus began. Wherever there is darkness, wherever people need to be rescued, wherever people are in exile, wherever people are in prison and blind, physically, spiritually, that's where we go. Jesus sends us to continue his work, the work of the servant. Servant song number three is in chapter 50. Chapter 50, verses 4 to 9. Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. And listen to this. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I've set my face like flint and I will not be put to shame. The guy's just, he's just been spat on. He's had his beard ripped out and he says, I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. That's why. Who will contend with me? Let us confront each other. Who has a case against me? Let him come near me. In truth, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment and a mouth will devour them. So in this song, it's the servant again speaking. His words are the primary weapons. And his weapons, again, are not used to end life, but to sustain it. This servant, the one who deals gently with bruised reeds, he now uses his words, these powerful arrows, to what? Sustain the weary. How many of you have ever been sustained with words? If you've been sustained with human words, with human encouragement, how much more the Word of God? Even those who don't know anything about Jesus can testify to the incredible power of words to sustain life. So let me encourage you now, if you know the servant, if you are a servant of the servant, don't waste an opportunity to sustain, to encourage another human being created in the image of God with words. If you don't know what to say, then start here with the very words of God. When we do that, we show that we are servants of the servants. We are walking in his steps, carrying on his mission, obeying the, word, the voice of God. Even when people opposed him. Verse 6, again, I, I paused when we read it before. He was, this servant was beaten. His beard was ripped out. He was mocked and spat upon. Shameful treatment. If any of you are fans of the Narnia series, you might think back to the very, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where you have that picture of Aslan dying a sacrificial death, and the, the forces of evil are there. And what are they doing? They're ripping out his beard. Lewis was familiar with Isaiah 50 when he wrote, even though his body was bound, even though he was shaved and treated Shamefully, he was not in that moment humiliated. He was not put to shame. This was plan A. 
This was victory. Didn't look like it. But for those who had eyes to see, evil did not stand a chance. And what makes the story all the more beautiful is that it points to what actually happened, not in a fairy tale, but in actual history on the cross. Jesus died a shameful death, but he was not ashamed. Hebrews 12.3 reminds us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Every single one of those people who mocked Jesus on that day, who he said to them, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Every single one of those people is dead and buried. Jesus is alive. He won. And he's waiting in heaven to raise you up with him on the last day. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, it follows the song with this rhetorical question. It says, who among you fears and listens, sorry, fears the Lord and listens to his servant? And that's the question. Who among you fears this servant? He's not a superhero. He's a servant. Who among you fears him and listens to him? And that's for us. That's the question we've got to wrestle with. Are we ready to listen and obey the voice of this servant no matter what? Chapter 51 gives three incentives for those who listen and obey the servant. First one's found in verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read just a part of verse 1 and verse 3 here. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. And if you're a Christian, that's you. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and melodious song. The ones who listen to the righteous servant, the ones who listen and obey, they will be comforted. He asked them to remember Abraham. You remember Abraham? He was one dude. One dude. And from that one man, God made a nation of countless people whose blessing then would flow on from that nation to all nations. You might look at your own life and all you see is sin or failure or regret. You can't see the joy and gladness that is coming. You've got to hold on to this promise. It is coming for those who seek God and fear the servant. Every lament Every funeral song one day will be transformed into a wedding dance. God will comfort those who obey the servant and he will fill them with joy. Second thing is in verses 4 to 6. Pay attention to me, my people, and listen to me, my nation. For instruction will come from me and my justice for a light to the nations. I will bring it about quickly. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die like gnats. But my salvation will last forever and my righteousness will never be shattered. So the one who listens to the righteous servant, that one will receive both rescue, salvation, and righteousness. See, remember we've said this a couple weeks ago. Your main problem, our main problem, is not that we're outside the land. It's not our circumstances. Our main problem is that we 
are born in and love unrighteousness. That's the problem that the servant comes to fix. And he says, I'll give righteousness to those who listen and fear and obey the voice of the servant. And it will last forever. Think about that. I mean, if you've, you, we're all on a journey, right, of you know, becoming more like Jesus. And often in our sanctification, in that journey, we get discouraged. We think, you know, you, we repent, we sin, we confess that, we repent, we say, God, I'm never going to do that again. I never want to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes we do it again. But see, God says, I am working in you. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but I'm working you a righteousness that's going to last forever because it's coming from outside of you. That should be encouragement to us. And then finally, in verses 7 to 8, listen to me, you who know righteousness, who know about righteousness, listen. The people in whose heart is my instruction, you know God's word, you know God's will. Listen, he says, do not fear disgrace by men. Do not be shattered by their taunts, for moths will devour them like a garment, and worms will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will last forever, and my salvation for all generations. So here's the final incentive for those who fear and listen to the voice of the servant. They will be vindicated. Like the servant, you will also be opposed. You will also be mocked, insulted. You will be tempted. But remember, the rescue and the righteousness that God has given you through his servant, Jesus Christ, they are yours forever. No one will snatch you out of his hand. His word is more powerful than theirs. That's why Jesus said, fear not the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear the one who can kill, throw both the body and soul into hell. He, his word, will last forever. His victory last forever. See, next week we're going to look, as I said, at chapters 52 and 53. But this week, spend some time thinking about these benefits, listening and following the servant. The one who rescues bruised reeds and smoldering wicks like us. The one whose mission couldn't be contained just to Israel, but exploded to the ends of the earth. The one who was steadfast in the face of opposition and abuse. See, we bruised reeds might also face opposition, but if we follow the servant, we have comfort, we have joy, we have rescue, we have righteousness, we have vindication, and we have victory. Are you willing to trust and follow the servant no matter what? To look beyond your present circumstances and hold on to his promises in faith? Are you willing by his grace to endure in the same way that he did? Are you willing? Perhaps you are, and that's good. Now look around you. Look around you. Find someone who's doing it tough, who needs encouragement, What's keeping you this week from being a servant, a minister? It's what minister means, servant, to those around you. What goodness, 
What rescue might God accomplish through your simple act of obedience this week? For those who listen and obey, you are the ones, you're the ones who will one day hear the very same words that Jesus heard. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Our God and Father of the Lord Jesus, the servant king that Isaiah saw and spoke about, would you help us to seek you this week, to seek you and your righteousness? Would you help us not to fear any lack or any pushback that we might receive? Would you help us to put our full confidence in you? Lead us as your children to put our gifts to work for your glory and for the joy of people in our lives, for the joy of the nations. We can't accomplish anything on our own, but only when we are joined with one mind to Jesus, the one who emptied himself and assumed the form of a servant. May we serve as he did so that all people would know that you alone are the giver of comfort and joy and rescue and righteousness, vindication and victory. And it's in Jesus' name we, as your servants, pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.